I'm Nathan, and we're back again here. Corey is with us as well, of course, as always. And hello, today, sir. Hello. You got your uh, winter-type gear on. <laughs> it's a little colder down there. It's a little colder. I'm a little further into the winter zone, I guess, now. You must and, be, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, I don't know, minus seven or something here, but snowing and... Oh, wow. Yeah, chilly. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do what we said we were going to do here, which is uh, take, a, take a look back. So mm-hmm. we've spent some time going over uh, what was a, a really cool year as far as, uh, you know, this experience has been interesting. We're still just a tiny little, you know, uh, very niche show, but I don't know. I, I've really enjoyed working with you, Corey, and I've, I've really enjoyed learning about uh, all the different aspects of this. It's cranked up my audio and uh, video editing skills significantly. Yeah. And uh, also the um, like the the SEO stuff and the marketing stuff and you know how how all this works and comes together I find pretty fascinating. So there's people who make tons of money just doing things like this, and I find that pretty interesting and cool that you can do that uh, for a living. But our mission, as always, is uh, to try and find those people who don't have anyone to reach out to or anyone who has experienced what we've experienced and uh, our job is to get that message to them, to, to bring them information and hopefully make their time easier if they're, you know, whether they're going back to work as a healthcare professional and they're going to do a contract or, or maybe it's, uh, they look to you, Corey, as an inspiration of, uh, you know, deciding to go a different way based on your assessment of the risk versus benefit. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing that we're here. I, I, uh, I was thinking today that I recall that when you and I got started on this project, originally we had the, just the idea that we would, our first two episodes, one would be you interviewing me. The next one would be me interviewing you. Then we had kind of a loose idea that we'd have to talk about some of the, like, uh, establish a baseline about our, our thoughts on addiction. And beyond that, like we didn't have a whole lot. Uh, planned. And no, no, I remember we... thinking like just roughly at that time, a year ago, like, okay, so there's like three episodes. Where is it? Like, well, what do we, then what, then what do we do? And it has flowed remarkably. And like one thing has led to the next um, one person has led to the next in some cases. And it's uh, it's just, we've had a lot more to say and to explore than certainly than I thought we would when we started this. So that speaks to the subject matter too, but I also think it speaks to how easy it is for us to work with each other and and do this. So, yeah, that helps a lot. (laughs) Everybody knows what it's like working with somebody who's difficult to work with, but it's, uh, I mean, you know, think of the worst person you've ever worked with, flip that around in a positive sense. And that's kind of like, uh, what we've got going on here for whatever reason, things just seem to work out. And, We've also been very fortunate with guests. I mean, I would have never in a million years, you know, if you told me that I was going to be able to get uh, a guest like Garth Mullins or, uh, or Maya Salovitz or yeah. even our, uh, our recent uh, episode with the uh, pastor Ward Draper is fascinating, but mm-hmm. uh, all our guests have, have brought something not just a, a different uh, perspective or look, but a, a type of wisdom that, I, I wasn't prepared for in many cases. It's deepened my understanding of not just our subject matter, but I think it's it's kind of broadened my horizons in a lot of ways as well. And I think that's you could say the same thing. Totally. You know, I I didn't we didn't plan it this way, and I've only in the last couple of months sort of come to realize that like we, it's it really is as though we've been kind of putting together a puzzle, and each guest we have. Uh, each time we tackle a different subject, it kind of like clarifies some understanding for us. And like the bigger picture becomes a little bit clearer. And um, yeah, I did not anticipate that. Yeah. I mean, it would have been hard to, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, it's really cool. Um, I'm, it's one of it's one of the most fun, creative projects I've ever been a part of. So yeah. And thank you so much for uh, the, the, we've just, the, the support that we've received from, you know, our family and friends, especially, but uh, everyone else out there who's 
who's taken an interest and has taken the time to either subscribe to the channel or uh, become a listener on whatever platform. I mean, it just, it really feels good, you know, when you know that your message is getting out there and then you're, you're reaching those people that you, you were trying to reach and you hear back from them and they're, they're happy that you're doing what you're doing. It's a really cool feeling. We've had that, we've had a few of those moments and those have been like really striking for lack of a better word that like, wow, you like, you heard what we had to say and reached out to us or connected with us and found a community from hearing, hearing what we're doing. Just, it's as cool as it gets for yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is a, just an awesome experience. So, so how are we going to break this down? What are we talking about today, Nathan? Well, we're going to do a uh, list because everybody loves lists. And uh, what we've decided to do is look back at the the content and uh, interviews that we've done in the last year, because uh, we're coming up November 21st is going to be the show's anniversary. Yep. Um, so we're going to look back and we've picked out uh, a few things each that, that really stood out to us. And we're going to start We've got five of them each, I believe. We're going to start with uh, item number five and work our way to the top as the what we believe to be the most important things that we've learned in this little podcasting journey. And we've learned a lot. Yeah. So it, it took a little bit to, uh, to get that kind of narrowed down, but uh, I think we've got it to a, a fairly succinct point now. I think so. So if you want to start co-host Corey, go ahead with your number five. What do you got? Sure. You know, and David Letterman, in my opinion, was the all-time greatest late night talk show host <laughs> ever. And uh, sometimes his top 10 list went in, in true order. And sometimes they were all as absurd. Number 10 was as absurd as number one. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I think for mine, I could juggle these numbers around a little bit. They aren't necessarily firmly one, one to five, but first one I have is that it's not all about stigma. And this is something I, you know, that opinion of mine softened, has softened as our show has gone on. And I think I came into this experience feeling really stigmatized by the healthcare system, stigmatized and sort of pushed, pushed to the side at times with, um, with what happened with my story with work and that all of the decisions and drivers there were, were about stigma. And Interesting. I think that stigma is present and is, it, is alive and well. It is I alive also, and well, and it is I, causing problems. No question about it. Absolutely. It is. But I also think that, that sometimes it's, it's very easy to like get stuck in that feeling and that feeling of being stigmatized is kind of, it's a bit of a bubble. And in looking at the system as a whole, and not just with how they treat people in, in addiction, but how they conduct themselves on a daily on a daily basis, it's very much about liability and about an unwillingness to be accountable and a fear of accountability, I think, because there are implications of that. And, and I think that that is what bogs down the bureaucracy and bogs down the whole system of processing individuals through this machine as we have phrased it. And it's, there's a part of that, that where stigma has influenced policy and influenced how people are treated and, and some of the loss of autonomy particularly. Absolutely. But, yeah. But how sluggish and immobile the machine is, I think is so much about, well, we can't be liable here and we don't want to be accountable. This is still on them. So it's, yeah. it's kind of turning the, and I say that with a little bit of empathy towards the system. I'm, I still carry anger towards the system as a whole and the machine as a whole, but I think it's not just all about them looking at me and judging me. Because I think that almost gives them too much credit for thoughtfulness. It's they're looking inward and they're keeping a, a wall up themselves to make sure that they're protected. I think more than anything. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there, and I agree with you 100. percent I also think stigma allows for the us them mentality to flourish, especially yes. within the machine. It yes. also supplies good fuel for the higher the hierarchy that exists there. With stigma, it's very difficult to move laterally. Everything is a, you know, eternal top down. I'm Mm -hmm. the professional and you are the person who fucked up. And that as long as that kind of perception or uh, as long as you continue with that angle or game plan, there's going to be problems. 
Yeah. It's not ideal. We know that that's not ideal because you're keeping heavy ego involved in the process. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> so yeah, those two things, sir. And I, I think that it's easy to fall into the trap of, it's almost like a, a victim mentality uh, with stigma as well. Right. And it, part of the problem of, you know, running into trouble with addiction is uh, too much of a focus on oneself in the first mm -hmm. place, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. And caring too much about what other people think and maybe having a skewed value of other people's opinions and overthinking what they're, you know, most people are not thinking about at all. Yeah. It, maybe the, uh, a balance that, that gets worse with certain types of addictions. Yeah. And it's, I think it's actually kind of empowering to say, to change that and to say like, instead of I am to say that we are stigmatized is disempowering and to say the healthcare system, the unions, the governing bodies are all bogged down, dysfunctional and struggling. Mm. And it has nothing to do with me. Like that's kind of an empowering thing, feeling to say, you know what, this is, this is actually the, the fact that they've taken weeks to, to let me know the direction this is going or months to get back to me. It's not about me, but no. it's very easy to say that it is. So yeah, certainly when you're in that position, <laughs> very much so, very much so. So that's my first one. Okay. Excellent. First choice. My number five is the fact that I learned a lot more about drug policy in BC, especially regarding harm reduction and safe supply. That's from, say, the Corey Ranger episode. Learned quite a bit there. Garth Mullins was, uh, you know, there was a lot there. And uh, Maya Salovitz brought a lot to the table that way too. Then just researching and making sure that I had the right you know, the most current information for the groups that we facilitate and then for the show as well. And I mean, it's not exciting stuff. It's uh, you know, these are like guidelines and policies that are very scant on substance and mostly they're, you know, just <laughs> combinations of words to attempt to make it look like somebody's doing something when nothing's getting done. But at any rate, I, I think it's good to be if we're going to be in this position and I'm going to talk about this type of material, I think we should know what's going on to the best of our ability, at least in our own backyard. And yeah. uh, so that's, that would be my number five, mostly you, due to uh, guests. Yeah. But I, I got to give you credit for that too, Nathan. I mean, we learned a lot from, from experts on here, but in terms of your willingness to dig into that stuff, to dig into policy and dig into like um, pretty fine print stuff uh your ability to do that is certainly stronger than mine and i learned a lot from you in that process of looking at those things and i think you have to we, ha we had to kind of look at the system not under the like most powerful microscope but we had to dig into it a bit and deepen our understanding of policy in british columbia and in canada and uh and i think we did that mm -hmm. so kudos yeah. to you for kind of leading the charge on that well, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I might have wasted a few hours of my life, but um, I did get a letter out of it, right? And um, yeah, I guess we haven't mentioned that before, but tell us. Well, probably a month ago now, was it? Maybe more, a little over a month ago, I sent a proposal to Sheila Malcolmson, Adrian Dix, and Joe Horgan, or John Horgan, sorry, of the NDP party. And we know how these things work as far as they all have uh, gatekeepers and whether or not uh, the, my email ever reached them, I don't know. But basically, I, uh, I proposed that uh, or offered, I guess, my services as a pharmacist and as somebody who's opened independent pharmacies. I've done a two in the last few years, so I'm relatively fresh with that stuff and could put together a facility probably fairly quickly. I'm sure there's other people who could do that too. I just thought that with my background in personal, uh, what I've done personally with uh, recovery and addiction, and then uh, my Obsidian support groups as well, I thought it might be a good idea to uh, at least throw that out there and offer to, to put together something that they could use to generate guidelines for how safe supply would work. And I knew that was going to be obviously a a long shot Hail Mary, but I was curious just to see if I'd get a response. And uh, to date, I have not received a response. And 
there are ways that I could push that letter. I, I do have some people that are close to um, the, the Minister of Health, and I could probably get that placed directly on their desk. But I think I'm just going to give it some more time and see if anything comes of that. And then I'll just follow up and I'll continue to do so every once in a while uh, mm-hmm. to see if I even receive a, a response. And this is coming from a position of, you know, I, I don't know anything about what those people are trying to do in there as far as what they're facing on a day-to-day basis running this province and trying to you know mitigate all the different political hurdles and, and things that they have to do in that uh, job that is probably, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows what it's like on the inside there. But I did, I put together something that I, I thought was reasonable as far as Here's a document, you know, I, I mentioned that I've, I had some doctors that were interested, some nurses, it wasn't going to just be me, but enough of a team set up that we could do it. And uh, so, it, uh, you know, the offer stands if uh, there's anybody out there listening who's uh, near those people and uh, somebody's got to do it, right? Yeah. And um, there's probably lots of opportunities for somebody to step up and get that going. Uh, in a in a meaningful way, and it's not like we're not doing harm reduction stuff. We definitely are. It's just, I think we really need to expand. I guess we'll see <laughs> what uh, what they're calling safe supply right now or safer supply. Yeah, of course. So that was my number five. What do you got for number four? So for number four, I I've kind of linked a couple of things together here, and and for me, it's been the importance of being in charge of my own story. There is a feeling of profound exposure in the process that we go through with the machine and uh, certainly a feeling of a loss of control. And as a person to be able to tell my own story and to be vulnerable and honest and open with my story and to be the, the actual voice that's telling it has been really powerful. And similarly, to have a platform here where other healthcare workers specifically can tell their stories mm-hmm. and share what they've been through and share some things that they've learned and, and be vulnerable. But there's been so much value in hearing other people's stories and in every guest period, but particularly in every other healthcare worker who's been on our show and talked about their own stories and what they've been through. It ultimately teaches me a lot about my own experience and about myself. And I think the the goal and going back to kind of linking or looping another episode into this discussion would be the episode with your dad talking about shame. And we've learned that being vulnerable and being open with our stories and telling our stories and having that discourse is a great shame breaker, as your dad would say. <laughs> yes, and that is. I've taken says. that term with me. I, I love that expression. And I don't think we have, and I hope we haven't done it in like a war story kind of way. I don't think that we have. But I think that people have been really vulnerable and honest about things that got them there in the first place, and then open and brave about telling the stories about what happened as they tried to navigate their way through the system and through the machine without kind of like, without embellishment, without hyperbole, and just being kind of forthright about things. Um, I'm proud of that. I, and I think I continue to learn from hearing stories of my peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There has been a lot learned there. And I think that uh, people kind of have a bullshit detector a little bit with that, even when, if it's not something that's in their wheelhouse, you can tell when somebody comes on and for one thing, it takes quite a bit of guts to, even if you're just out of a uh, Cassidy, for example, just out of a, a monitoring agreement to do what she did, she didn't need to embellish anything anyway. No, um, she just told the story as it was. I think if anything, she was gracious, especially with um, the amount of grief her monitoring company at the end there gave her was, uh, I mean, it was unnecessary and, and it's the opposite of what you want to do when you're trying to get your way back to, uh, you know, some assembly of stability. But yeah, uh, yeah she just, she's been she's such a solid character anyways, that I think she could have, she took all that and she could have taken more and still laughed at the end, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, it's the authenticity, right? That's the, the, yeah. the real key word there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'll share this carefully that, you know, you and I had a fascinating experience. One of the most fascinating experiences we've been through this year of where we weren't comfortable 
with a, a particular guest that we had, and we had decided to omit that whole episode and and can it because we weren't comfortable with the the fact that the story didn't make sense to us, mm-hmm. and it, it left more questions and answers, and uh, and it didn't feel authentic. No, and we, and we didn't, so we didn't follow through with the episode, and that doesn't make us like tremendous guys, but it mean I think it it says like if you're going to bring your story forward, we really I think it for for healing and for benefit of the listeners and of us as participants you got to bring some vulnerability and some honesty to the table and some ownership i mean whatever your version of what happened is because it's going to be different out of everybody who's involved is going to have a different set of eyes on it and i mean we don't know maybe that was you know maybe that was her best rendition it just you know, I, I don't have any qualms about the decision. I think it was uh, unfortunately the right thing to do. I wish it would have turned out differently there, but I think that in the long run, if we try to present a show where we're working hard to provide reality. <laughs> so continuing on for me, my number four is abstinence. And I, I could say for myself, that uh, I've given abstinence a pretty hard time my whole life. I mean, when I heard that uh, I just about had a heart attack when when I figured out they were going to want me in a monitoring program after I got out of rehab, like that was, Same. I, I was, I considered walking out immediately. Like <laughs> it was, yeah. uh, I was like, you're telling me you want me to go that long without having a beer or whatever. And whether or not you know, complete abstinence was right for me at that time. It's not relevant in, in what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that for many people who have come to a, a spot where whatever they're trying to manage in life has become, as they say, unmanageable, and they're pointing the finger at what they believe to be the cause, you know, if that's drugs, alcohol, whatever your addiction is, and you you make the courageous and difficult decision to try to do something about that uh, rather than, you know, saying, fuck everybody, I'm going to do whatever I want, which is Mm -hmm. an option. You can Mm -hmm. do that. And many people do that. (laughs) There's there's no question. You see a lot of that uh, where people are in the door and out the door in five minutes type of thing. Sure. But um, we know what science says about the 90 days and, and how it can help with homeostasis within the brain and, and, rebalancing some of those pathways in the limbic system that have maybe been over or front loaded as we like to say. But I think it's more than that in that it's okay to be abstinent. It really is okay. If that's the best path for you, if, if you've tried everything else and you're still having trouble, try cutting everything out, you know, you you go, go crazy, cut out sugar. If you want, cut out, you know, go all the way back off of caffeine, whatever it takes to get to that point where you're feeling like you're operating at the best of your ability. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think probably because of, of how I felt about, um, where I was as far as my state of mind was concerned when I went into, uh, treatment, and just my upbringing in a culture that very much celebrated, uh, especially drinking. As a, a younger man, I couldn't even wrap my head around being a non-drinker. Like the, to me, mm-hmm. that was insanity. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, have a beer once in a while? And there's nothing wrong with that, but it shouldn't be the only option. And it shouldn't be people who decide that that's how they're going to live their life shouldn't be looked at as pariahs. You know, you're taking life straight on right down the pipe, <laughs> no buffer, no, no comforter, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And that takes courage. So that's something that I've, I've thought a lot about and I, and I just want to put that out there as a, uh, as food for thought. And yeah, same. Oh, definitely. And, and I think that right now, um, and I do a chunk of the Twitter stuff for, for the podcast and Twitter seems to be a, a particular area where, abstinence is kind of a a dirty word or, you know, gets dragged through the mud as you, as you put it, Nathan, and, Mm -hmm. or it's uncool. Like, I I feel like kind of an old man saying like, since when did abstinence become uncool? But (laughs) it's, I think that the main driving factor is autonomy and abstinence gets wrapped up in, in chains, 
right? Yeah. That's how it's presented. Like, ah, they're taking my autonomy. I can't do what I want to do. And believe me, I get that. And I am yes. not a I I am not a fan or proponent of limiting one's freedom. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that's why it's kind of taken the beating that it's taken. <laughs> but it's important to separate the actual entity of abstinence itself as an option, not as a requirement. Yeah. Yeah. And just that time to, and I had a similar experience too at the very beginning where one of my close friends said to me, well, you're still going to be able to smoke marijuana, right? Like that, you didn't have a problem with marijuana, so you can still use that. Mm-hmm. Not understanding the the monitoring contract and what that actually meant. And and at first, yeah, that it, it's an upsetting reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a scary reality. But taking having that time to do the work and then to consider, was that actually working for me? Was that substance actually doing what I thought it was doing for me? And for me, it ended up being the realizing that it was the opposite of that, that it it wasn't helpful. It mm-hmm. wasn't therapeutic. So, and that's just, again, that's just my, my own experience, but that time away brings clarity with it the work re- for sure. It really does. Yeah. Over yeah. the years, I, I used to, uh, when I was younger and, uh, if I was say training for some sort of, a, a like an athletic event, I would become very strict with everything like eating. I wouldn't touch any kind of drug or whatever. And mm-hmm. we usually train for three months and I always noticed that towards the end of that three months, there was a type of, um, it was like a parting of the clouds. I started to see things a little bit differently than I did before. And I didn't think much of it because I was in and out of that year after year. We usually train for uh, one event a year when I was younger. And then it was back to, you know, drinking a party and whatever. But there is a certain type of clarity that I would recommend. You know, if you've never done it before, try 90 days. Even if you don't have a problem with with uh, drugs or alcohol, you know, just to, just if you want to see the world differently, it really is kind of astonishing. Yeah, you know, time re- slows <laughs> down. <You're> like, <laughs> it's like you, you're halfway through the day, and you're like, "What? How much time does a guy need to get stuff done?" I mean, it's just it's a totally different way of living. Yeah, you know, I remember at the ninety day mark, I was in your, in your groups, in your meetings. And you said that to me, you're like, Oh, you're at 90 days. And it, cause I had come onto our, our meeting and said, like, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing hysterically at things. Like I'm laughing till I cry. I haven't done that in years. I haven't done that in ages. Like there's this new kind of like, Oh my God, I'm what are, the, what are these things that I'm, that are running down my face? Like I'm feeling, <laughs> feeling things so differently. And, um, and you kind of said, oh, that's kind of a magic time frame. It was for me. It was mm-hmm. for, for sure. And so, and that's not a big ask, like to, to try 90 days of abstinence to see how it works or how you feel is not that big of an ask. It's not. And a great time to do it is right after Christmas, because what I found was it not only did it line up with what we were doing uh, sports wise, but it was in my family, you're just, you're eating so much heavy food and the drinking and drinking and just partying and partying. And, and by the end of it, you're like, oh my God, I just, I, I want to go live in a, you know, in a sanctuary somewhere and get away from this. <laughs> so, I mean, the first month is like a, just, you, you can, the first month is easy because you don't, you know, you're so party, you don't, you don't want to do, have anything to do with it. You, and yeah. You're eating good food. So you're healing, you're getting your body back in shape. And then, uh, yeah, just a couple more after that. And it's usually through the months where you really need the, it's nice to have a, a, a clear head, uh, coming out of spring anyway, because that's a yeah. time when a lot of people suffer their worst as, uh, like a sad, uh, seasonal affective disorder symptoms mm-hmm. or, or even mm-hmm. depression. I mean, it's just a tough time for Canadians in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great tip. Great advice. So that's my number four. What's your number three? So my number three is kind of working on a, a theme here in terms of inter- our interactions with people, the process of having the discussions with the people that we have had, like really intelligent people, really thoughtful, uh, empathetic people is to be curious and to, to be curious about people's stories, to make the space for finding out more about them and to let them share more of their stories. 
to me, sometimes that means just listening and just kind of waiting to see how the conversation unfolds and goes. But then I, I also think such a huge lesson in that is, is to then turn that curiosity inward and to keep asking myself the questions, the questions that we ask in the podcast, the questions that we're asking our guests to look right. at myself with those. And then to, when I re-listen, particularly when I re-listen to our episodes uh, for the first time, it's usually like, oh, well, well, what was I getting at there or what they, were they getting at? And it inspires more questions for me. And um, I end up learning a lot about myself when I kind of turn that question in, inward. Yeah. It's funny because I've, I've caught myself projecting more than once where, yeah. um, you know, and it's, it's not a, it's not like a backhanded projection. It's a, there's a genuine curiosity, but I'm driving at it maybe a little too hard sometimes because I desperately want to, you know, we, we've had such the caliber of people we've had on, you know, I want to know, I want to know what their, their opinion is on, on some of these questions because I don't know, it's important and I am curious. Yeah. You know, I, another, another thought that I had about the curiosity thing was like, I really asked myself after the, the Garth Mullins episode, I noticed that like when I found out about the book, the weight of air. And then very, very shortly after I found out about it, Garth posted this tweet about the book that he was reading it or that he was kind of recommending it. And, and I hadn't read it yet. And I felt really like this, this real pull to that I needed to read this book. And then shit, if we can have a conversation with Garth Mullins about that book, like how cool would that be? That was like the immediate thought, but you know, my, one of my early therapists in recovery really looked at my subconscious and like looked at when I would do art or when I would create something, you know, asking about, well, what pulled you towards that? Or what about that inspired you? And, and I think I was inspired by the title of that book. I think I was inspired by little fragments of David's story. David poses a story that I had heard from the descriptions of the book where I thought I'm going to, I think subconsciously I knew I'm going to learn a, a lot from this about the acceptance of my story and about kind of going, going deeper, going another layer deeper in recovery. And that book rocked me. It rocked you. Yeah. I think it rocked Garth. And we had a, this incredibly interesting conversation about it, but like even just asking myself, well, like, why was I so compelled to like push that idea forward that this is what we're going to do. We're going to read this book. We're going to talk to Garth about it. And that's what we're doing. Well, there was a lot to learn about that. And I think like that back part of my brain was saying like, do this, Corey, you're going to figure another part of your story out here. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you led the charge on that one for sure. And I'm glad you did because that, uh, I mean, that to this, to this day is, it's one of the most remarkable stories of addiction. Uh, just a beautiful prose and, and man, the, the connection that some of the things that he was doing and stuff, I, like I, I knew exactly, I felt like I knew what was going on in his mind at the time because he was, I've thought the same thoughts that he was reiterating. That was a, a really interesting way to do it and uh, a great idea. And it, it turned out really well. Yeah. Sometimes I think we put ourselves in, in these positions subconsciously when we need to learn, learn another lesson from something. It seems that way. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, can, it can also go the other way, right? Um, <laughs> totally. Totally. You know, the, with the self-sabotage, man. The, the subconscious mind is just, it uh, <laughs> well, freaks me and out. That, that was my, you know, general theme throughout uh, a lot of my adult life was to learn things the hard way and to oh. self-sabotage and then have to learn the lesson. So I, yeah. I, I give myself like a, a gentle pat on the back for saying, oh my God, I, I, <laughs> I learned that one intentionally and didn't have to learn some of those lessons the hard way. You used your <laughs> powers for good. <laughs> <laughs> And the fact that I can notice that, that I'm like, oh, I, I didn't learn that lesson the hard way. I, I actually went about that in a constructive, creative, healthy way. Yeah. Well done, Corey. Yeah. Well done. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's um, your number three, Nathan? My number three, and this is uh, so nicely underlined by our, our latest guest there. It's okay not to know. And man, is that something that. It is a tough one to really grasp for me mm -hmm. and a tough one to practice. But once I started practicing it, 
I realized so many things, so many, uh, in so many ways I was burning energy for nothing, you know, just because mm -hmm. I, I guess it's, uh, I mean, it's the, the human mind. We all want to, uh, we want answers. We're designed in such a way that we, whatever we see, we try to, you know, form it into a pattern that makes sense to us. And, uh, you know, that's what our brains are designed to do. And we don't like it. We don't like it at all when there's gaps, big gaps in a theory or I was driving, uh, yesterday I was driving and it's starting to snow here a lot and there's a straight stretch and the snow was kind of billowing around in such a way that I could see down the straight stretch and then it just disappeared into a cloud. It was just mm. all nebulous and floating around and I was like, yeah, that's, that's the future. I'm driving into the future right now. I have no <laughs> idea what, you know, I have a plan. I'm on a road that uh, I think is going to lead me to, you know, I'm trying to do something here, Yeah, but to be reminded that's a heady at all times. You just don't know what's going to come out of there. It could be something good. It could be something bad, a challenge of this or what, but it's, uh, it's being okay with that and not, not letting the fact that you're, there's so much stuff we don't know yet. And uh, that's just going to be the way it is. And we'll do our best with what we have and onward we go. It's just so much nicer. It's, <laughs> you know, it's a, a way to let go, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, that was, I, that's, that's such a great sort of visual representation, isn't it? Like of driving into the, into the unknown. Mm -hmm. And then like the, the first thing that, that so often comes up is fear. Like the, that's the most immediate natural human response that we have this like fear response to that. Yeah. And that goes back to, to early humans that we needed to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, if we didn't know, and we spent a lot of time <laughs> heading towards areas that were full of unknowns, then uh, we probably didn't pass on our genes. Right. So There's <laughs> <laughs> a very, I mean, it's a, it's in their animal brain, in our animal brain, but it's uh it's just an interesting weight that uh, I found I was carrying around. And then, that talk with uh, Ward just, it couldn't have been more timely. I couldn't have been more ready for it personally to, to hear it the way that he put it. It just, he just brought it home and, and it just smashed into me. And I was like, man, you are right here at the right time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was uh, really special. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I could only hope like for my son that he learns that earlier in life. Like I think learning it at any age is, is great, but to be able to impart that to our children or to, if we imparted that in schools, like that acceptance of the unknown, mm -hmm. um, and adapting with life and learning these lessons and continuing to adapt and continuing to grow and continuing to reach out to others and, and going about it that way. That's not, that's kind of overlooked, I think. And, and, uh, hugely, hugely not just, overlooked, not just overlooked, but uh, overshadowed and pushed away by this, yeah. uh, the giant individual do it by yourself and, and compete and win. I mean, people are looking at that differently now too. I think, uh, given the last few years we've been through, people are looking at all sorts of things differently, but for us growing up, that's what it was. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, uh, that's my number three. What do you got for number two? So I've got for number two that, that we actually build our resilience in recovery from the machine or in Ooh. spite of the machine. And this is a controversial, even it, it feels like a hot take for me to say it. And this is, I'm not, I'm not crediting the system with this necessarily, but it is a, I, for me, it was a rather helpful byproduct of having to jump through so many hoops, having to be patient, having to sit in uncertainty having to advocate for myself. These are all strength building exercises. And it is a shame that we are having to, that it's so difficult at times within the, within the machine, within uh, our interactions with our employers and with our unions and with our colleges, and that you have to constantly fight sometimes tooth and nail for every single little step of going back to work. It's mm -hmm. a fight, but th some of those things are strength building. And when I think back to how I was in active addiction, I was very much depleted of those strengths and in a state of, of atrophy, mm. emotional and mental 
atrophy in many ways, spiritual, spiritual atrophy for sure. Mm-hmm. And so you, you advocate for yourself. That's you getting behind yourself. That's you supporting yourself and, and saying, no, this is what is best for me. Hopefully you're, we're all able to say that our interactions with other professionals, with doctors, with people from the union, with people who are intimidating. And like you get through that one interaction, it's like, okay, I, I've got the next one to get through. And maybe you feel a little bit more confident and a little bit stronger in the next one. I think I did. You think you did. <laughs> I, I like how this is coming from like the, uh, the world champion, uh, machine destroyer. <laughs> like, I mean, and I'm not taking away from your experience at all no. because I, I know how hard I, I believe me, I know how hard it is, but I think many people <laughs> towards the end of, uh, where you'd started to really, you know, once you were through, I think you'd done some, uh, personal therapy on top of, mm-hmm. uh, your, your general recovery program, but there became, it started to be, there was a wide gap in the way you were conducting yourself and the, the way the machine was conducting itself, <laughs> yeah. especially in poise. And I think that's what really made it start to look ridiculous. And it, it was such a, I saw other people looking at the way that you were handling that situation and they were baffled with, because you had made it look easy, but I think it also gave them a lot of, it gave them a lot of confidence too. If you think back to you're just coming off of a shit ton of opiates and the type of fear that it's a a different type of fear than if somebody's going to take your life or if it just, it's a type of fear on its own where Mm -hmm. you just, you can't take it. It's such anxiety, the whole world. It's just like a nightmare. You're in a nightmare and to come from that and then out and find resilience within that uh, quite remarkable. I would say that if you have the capability to, to navigate the machine the way that you did, then you definitely uh, find some resilience there. But it's it's also a, a kind of microcosm of of how resilience is built in in the world. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, like the title of your your dad's episode: "The hotter the fire, the harder the steel." Yeah, that's something that I mean. You look at our society today. This is a very soft version of humans. Okay, we get, we can get much harder than this. I don't mean in a like a, a tough guy sense or a, a barbaric sense. I mean, like think of what the guys and and women who went through World War II and then rebuilt yeah. the country. And I mean, that's you know that's a level of resilience that we haven't had to face or see or even think about for a long time. But you know, that's how resilient humans can be. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Nathan, what you just said kind of segues into my next thought that for me, resilience also kind of meant a perspective shift, you know, that, that as you get stronger and as you learn these things and you advocate for yourself and you gain some clarity about what you've been through and, and what these hoops that we jump through for the, for the machine and to try to get back to work actually mean for me, just for me personally, it gave me the perspective that so much of this doesn't matter mm. for me. Like what actually matters here? I say this as corny as it may sound, like I survived this amidst staggering numbers in our province and in our country, staggering numbers of, of deaths from opiates mm-hmm. for a host of reasons. I came out the other side of that. I feel immense gratitude for that, for, for surviving that genuinely. Mm-hmm. And for the people that I have around me and feeling like a survivor, it kind of makes some of this other stuff that, you know, I remember that last conversation I had with my, with my union, but where they're kind of like, kind of like scratching and clawing to hang on to me, to keep me within the union and to keep me with a, a license, a nursing license. And like, mm-hmm. oh, but if you do this and you can't do that and you, you won't be able to get back and you, you can't do that. And, and like, just feeling like I wanted to shout in my house, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> I came out the other side of this. I survived. Here's what I've learned that other stuff is so arbitrary feeling. And I don't want to give away my number one here yet. So I will, I will hold back a little bit, but like mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. And not a single fucking person on the other side of the machine said that and said like, the most important thing here is that you survived and that you are alive right now yeah. and that you're with your family and you have this opportunity. No one is saying that. And, and that's because so, that's they're not in the fire. Yeah, right. You know? Exactly. 
And people forget what, I think it's a good, like we're designed also to forget terror and forget how bad things can feel, right? For yeah. a million different reasons. It's part of our innate resilience so that we can keep going. But yeah, yeah people, their perceptions of what matters can vary significantly. Yeah. And of course, I, I, I want to say just as sort of a little uh, epilogue to that, to that speech that if you're, if you just, if you get through that and you survive and you make the choice that your career in nursing or healthcare or whatever it is, is of importance to continue to pursue it, that is absolutely respectable and understandable, but no one will tell you like, Hey, you survived this. And that means that you are in some ways impervious to all this other shit. <laughs> Yeah, I certainly felt like that. They they also won't tell you, even when they know and when it's blatantly obvious to them that continuing will be not only detrimental to your you know quality of life, or whatever, but it is actually dangerous to the point where you could die. Right. They still won't intervene, not in the way that they should. Right. No. Because this. Well, I go off on a rampage here, but uh, it, it is just it's an interesting point. It is. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we here? Uh, You're number two. My number two. And what I put for that was just, there's an evolution of understanding with any complex concept, I guess, uh, depending on who you are and, and uh, how hard you're looking at things and what you're dealing with and stuff. But for me, the concept of what it means to be addicted, the behavior of addiction what motivates it, how it works, how much of it is biological, how much of it is environmental, all these types of factors. I think that, you know, given the work I've done over the last few years, uh, especially with Obsidian, it's given me a lot of uh, opportunities to learn from other people, to ask questions. So I had a lot of people to draw on as far as information is concerned. That's helped. And then the reading that I do, I, I, I do quite a bit of reading uh, on this subject. That helps. But having your favorite author who wrote the book that I think is the absolute closest, like it, as if you want an answer to what addiction is, go talk to Maya Salovitz. And uh, having her on the show and knowing that uh, we were going to get that opportunity really made, you know, that pushed me harder to dig deeper. And then by the time we were ready for that interview and we talked to her and it was over, I, I thought to myself that my level of understanding has changed now, changed is the wrong word, I guess, maybe expanded so that I have a, a greater kind of wider grasp of how it could affect people than I did before. And and for that, I'm very grateful. I mean, I, and I wasn't expecting that to happen because I've no. read her book three times, I think. And it, but it, it, there's something different about actually talking to the author and her body language, everything. It's a, it was, it was a really interesting experience. And this is something that's going to, science is going to continue to, to chip away at this. And I'm sure there's going to be other kind of ideas that add to it. But uh, as it stands now, I, I'm pretty happy with uh, the answers that I do have because, man, in the beginning, I was just walking around in circles. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? And yeah, so uh, I've come a long ways in that respect and uh, grateful for that. <clears throat> yeah. What a cool opportunity. And, uh, you know, I think in talking to her, how humble and, and genuine she was. And the fact that she is just curious as well and, mm. and, and highly, highly intelligent, obviously yes, that goes yes. without saying, yeah. but fundamentally, like she's just from her starting point in her, in her study of addiction it is curious. Yeah. Was well, curious. Yeah. I mean, again, the sign of a healthy mind, but her mind is a rare occurrence and yes. uh, to, to get to actually see it in action and, uh, and bounce ideas off her, man. That's a, just a pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Good one. That was a, a high point for sure for us. Mm -hmm. And this brings us to your a number one item that your number one thing that you learned throughout this first year of yeah. the Recovery Machine podcast. So I, this is a thought that I've had many times throughout the year, and it's kind of come into into. Uh, 
clarity for me that our value as people, our qualities as people, you know, our empathy, our compassion, our intelligence, our work ethic, all of these things end up getting so linked to our profession. So when the when the hammer falls and when you kind of get outed for your addiction, it's such a, a crushing blow. And it feels like getting back to work, getting back to that identity of being, for me, of being a nurse. And that was a feeling I had right at the beginning would restore, I guess, my self-esteem, my feeling of self-worth. And it might sound sort of oversimplified here, but just coming to the coming to the conclusion and the awareness that those qualities within me are my own. They are freestanding and they are not actually linked to my profession, to my former profession. And I, I say that as my number one, because I, I think it was the healthiest conclusion that I have drawn this year mm. in doing the podcast. I think the podcast has helped me understand that. I was figuring that out before we, we even started this, I think. And I, it's something that I have great empathy for my peers in our community who if, I, if there's one thing that I would want nurses, maybe nurses specifically to know, it would be that, that you are a hardworking, intelligent, kind, caring, empathetic, intuitive, insightful person, not because you're a nurse. Those things made you a really good nurse. You are not those things because you are a nurse. Mm-hmm. And the whole process of of discovery and investigation and IMEs and in many cases, treatment and rehab and discipline, all that stuff, it kind of can make us feel as though we're trying to clamor back to that person that we were that had those qualities. It's like those are still there. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, the- I think I think it's an unhealthy part of the of that. Uh, again, I, I go back to nursing specifically, like the altruistic, gentle, kind Florence Nightingale. Let's wash our hands of that. I I think, and Flo- <laughs> I say that ironically, Florence Nightingale was a big proponent of hand washing and in, in uh, nursing fundamentals. But let's put that to bed and say, like, let's build people up for these qualities and detach them from the the profession. Because I think that's really unhealthy and we are not, we are doing a disservice if we keep those things linked. Yeah. It was a bad idea from the get-go. I don't know why it started and why it's so prevalent, especially in the medical field, but uh, people out there who aren't in the medical field or have never uh, seen like a graduation ceremony, you want to see something funny, go watch a, um, watch a doctor's graduation ceremony. You will not see more like pomp and flair and costumes. And it's almost like a religious ceremony. And (laughs) I believe that they, over the years, it's become that because it's an excellent tool and that it, it makes you believe that you're something that is more than yourself in this identity of whatever your profession is. So, which is false. Completely. It's It's clearly false. And Believing that you are more or that you're uh, inherently better than someone else because you have attained whatever knowledge you've attained, if that's how you want to live your life, then that's up to you and and you can do what you want to do with it. But for me, I'm thrilled when people uh, are interested in, uh, you know, whatever education pursuit they're after, that's all good stuff. But I don't, I never liked the idea of tying your identity into your profession. It's a boundary in a way, right? It's, it's limiting Mm -hmm. and it's an excellent, again, it's something that sets up. uh, It's, it's very useful for our current kind of setup, which is a hierarchy based top-down system. You get spit out and you, you're like, Hey, you're at the bottom of the medical thing, but you're better than everyone else. That's what they're, <laughs> I mean, that's what they tell doctors, right? Yeah. You know, the, the residents will be like, oh, I, the doctors above them and the specialists, ah, oh, they're garbage. Look at this stupid Jeep. You know, like they, and it's like that. I mean, doctors are probably the more, uh, it's more acute for them, but every other profession plays that out to some degree as well. 
You know, like I'm the most educated nurse and I've got the most experience or everyone else better shut up. And, you know, there's like, it comes with a a whole myriad personality types and everything that are built on this weird little idea that you're nurse Susan or nurse Mike or whatever it may be. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, for all your good traits, all your bad traits, whatever you are, you are just you. Yes. (laughs) And you are many things. You know, it's, and it's more than just, uh, your job. So yeah, that's a, a really interesting one as your top one. And, uh, very important because man, I didn't, I did not know I laughed at it when I was, even when during graduation, I laughed at it. I never took it seriously on the outside, but the shit was getting to me on the inside. For sure. My ego latched right onto that. Right. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, uh, you know, now I'm like, it changed my own beliefs about myself in a way that was not, I mean, it, it was out of whack with reality, basically. And whenever that happens, it's not a good thing. The idea is to be as close to genuine as possible and yeah. keep that ego under control. I also just wanted to add, I, I, with nursing specifically, I wanted to give a nod to the fact that I think it is also rooted in our society's unfair female archetypes that there is this perception of what is a good nurse and a good nurse is one that acts quickly and is kind of has meeker qualities mm. um is like endlessly empathetic has motherly qualities sure yeah um and i think that those are old fashioned but still very much exist within nursing oh, and whether absolutely. you are male or female you are judged by as a nurse as being good or bad based on having some of those qualities. Yeah. And interestingly, I think some of the nurses with the most longevity that I've met are the ones who break through that and are really assertive and have really firm boundaries in place and don't take any, any shit. And those are the ones who last a long time. Oh, without question. And yeah. who, and uh, I'd be curious to ask some of those people now, like, is that what you were doing? Were you breaking free of that kind of the, the confines of that archetype and advocating for yourself first and then your patient and so forth? I have asked individuals who are high level professionals uh, that I've met and I've seen some and I, the ones that stand out to me, I only know a couple, but they appear to be absolutely impervious. So I'm naturally curious as to yeah. how the hell they're pulling that off. And I ask him like, what, in, how did you get like this? How yeah. can you possibly have this level of patience and professionalism? And do you go home and like punch a punching bag or like what, <laughs> how are you coping with this? But the, the answers I've always gotten have, have led me to believe that there's not a lot of, th- they just saw that that's how they had to do it. They yeah. saw early that if they didn't put up, very firm boundaries. They're just wise enough. Naturally, it seems to, to do that. If they didn't put those up, they were going to get shredded. And then they just like any skill, they got better and better and better and better and better until they can just maintain a smile while somebody's having an absolute tantrum and not a smile, but you know, they they just maintain professionalism. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe some people do really think it through and others that just kind of, they're like, this is what I better do if I want to survive. Yeah, I think you're right. So Nathan, your number one. My number one, yeah, it has to do with uh, the charity episode. That was a big one for me. I haven't had an epiphany like that in a long time. And uh, it really did. It was a paradigm shift for me. And then again, the timing of Ward coming right after that with uh, with basically the message that I had just you know received myself, somehow stumbled across, I guess, in that I was spending for all the, the work and stuff that we, we've done and all of the things that we've done with recovery and people are quick to tell me that I'm, you know, I'm helping people and all that kind of stuff, but I was still in here all the time, still mm-hmm. too much in here, in my head, thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking still that I could do, I could get through life and, and be just fine on my own. And that other people were like an option that was still the underlying kind of format that I was running. And I didn't realize the extent of it until like, you know, it it hit me. It it really hit me how I was, uh, how beneficial it is for just so many reasons to look outside of yourself 
and to make an effort to look outside of yourself, connect with people. You know, it can be a surface connection. That's fine. I, I like deep connections more, but whatever, just every time that you are engaging in a connection with another human being, it's very difficult to be listening to your own rhetoric. I mean, mm -hmm. it can still go on during conversation. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is being alone with your thoughts, if you have the type of mind that I do and the type of mind that you do, can be bad. It could be bad and you can be very skilled at, uh, you know, CBT and, and you can have all the tools you want to deal with that, but really it's about other people and, mm -hmm. and understanding that it, that's what it comes down to, man. It's not, you know, it's not every man for himself, every woman for herself. We're in a situation together. We all have problems like let's, and it's not about trying to be some altruistic person or whatever. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about doing the best thing you can do with your time and not driving yourself insane in the, in, in the process. And all you have to do <laughs> is reach the fuck out. It's not even that hard. Um, although sometimes, admittedly, it is hard for me. But the effort should be made. And it has to do with vulnerability, which I've, you know, I've been running around telling, like, I, I'm aware of vulnerability and, and the importance of it. And and how it plays into addiction and, and how it plays into resilience and courage and all those other kinds of things. That archaic version of charity where you are striving to help other people. And when you can't help them, at least do your best not to harm them. Mm -hmm. And for God's sake, you know, this idea that I had in my head that uh, the, the spe our, our species is just inherently flawed and you know, we're driving this planet into the ground or just look at all the shit we do to the other creatures here and stuff. Yes, we got lots of problems. But that attitude of I'm going to dissociate from my own species, no good. Yeah. No good. Even if I'm going to be my own best friend, <laughs> I has to be further than that. It's not just me. It's got to be we and onward do we go. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the opportunity was, to find a solution to all of these problems is also dependent on our outlook. Absolutely. And that, like that negative, perpetually negative outlook is self-fulfilling. Self-fulfilling and self-destructive. And self-destructive. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's just going to, all your efforts will be cut in half or quartered if you're going to come at a problem with that kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just a huge, <laughs> a huge realization that I'm very grateful I had it. And then it's hard not to look at the way things shaped up there with uh, Ward coming in after. And you're like, oh man, this is a little bit like uh, coincidental the way this is working out. But, uh, you know, whatever that means, whatever it is, I'll take it because uh, it sure worked for me. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. You know, I was just thinking about because we had talked about it. I remember you and I talking about this. Right before we did our first episode, and we talked about it in an obsidian meeting that for me, like my one of my first spiritual experiences was being at a NHL games and cheering and just like going crazy at, at you know, six or seven years old when there would be a, a goal and like feeling the most sort of being aware that that was such a high, such mm -hmm. a spiritual high. And what was yeah. happening to me there, like I was outside of myself. I wasn't sort of locked within myself. I was connecting with other people. I was being expressive. I was being vulnerable to like, just be as loud oh. and crazy as I could be. And, uh, like there were, there are lessons in that. And that's on a very like superficial level. I was, that was not an altruistic experience, but well, it was, it's a hell of a good example. Of, it is kind of, of, right? of a connection because for one thing, that's a lot of people you're not often around that many people that close who are all engaged in the same activity and you're all happy about the same thing. Lots of them very happy to the point where they're jumping <laughs> up and down and you're yep. a kid absorbing all this. That's pretty intense, man. You, you're connecting with thousands of people on the same wavelength of joy. And uh, yeah, it's, you're not going to be thinking about problems, uh, you know, your personal problems at that time. No, it was a weightless feeling. Yeah, weightless, and so to, exactly. Kind of to come back to that and to 
just to think that we were, those were things we were considering right when we started this. So kind of cool that we're still work, working through that. And it, it yeah, comes back to that. Yeah, man. It's a process. But, so Nathan, uh, what, what's kind of, what's next is, is another question for us. What is next after my chilling voiceover <laughs> <laughs> promotion propaganda piece? What we are being told by uh, sources that we are close contact with is that we have a uh, addiction specialist who actually works with some of the clients that I have in my Obsidian groups. And she is willing to come on the show and she would like to provide a, a perspective from a physician working within the interior of this machine complex. Yeah. And we want to, you know, first of all, we're very thankful that she's agreed to do this. We want to, to get as much kind of a, a positive outcome as possible. So I think if we can have a discourse about what she sees from her perspective that's that's beneficial and what she sees that needs to change from her position as a physician in there, physician as a physician. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think it'll be, I mean, it's got a lot of potential to, to give some people some ideas to work with as to at least a, a framework of an understanding as to why some of these processes are persistent even though from what we went through and from, you know, just a, a person who would look at the situation as a, as an outsider and be like, oh, this is a weird kind of setup. How come we're doing it this way? Yeah. Hopefully we can shed some light on, on some of the questions people have. That's, that's going to be the goal here. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, she's agreed to come on. And once we get a date firmed up, we're hoping to do it for, it'll be a part of our first year anniversary special mm -hmm. and yeah we'll we'll try and make it a an epic one yeah i'm looking forward to it it's a our kind of our first time having someone who's so much of an insider who is not who is on the other end so yeah very cool opportunity for us i'm i'm excited yeah me too yeah I, I, I guess i also wanted to in addition to thanking our our listeners of course we're grateful for your just your consistency and your willingness to allow us to fumble and navigate our way through this process and, and, uh, to ha humbled by the fact that we have your, your ear yeah, throughout each month. Absolutely. Uh, but I'll also say that, you know, if there are listeners out there who are in safety sensitive jobs and in healthcare who are interested in telling their story or would be interested in talking to us even offline, we'd be more than happy to have that conversation. And we're interested in, in expanding that part too, that, that we want other people's stories and, uh, and to provide that outlet for people too. I'm also specifically interested in, in stories from our American listeners. We have a good number of listeners in the United States of America, and we haven't had a, a guest on apart from Maya from the States. So if there's anyone listening who, who wants to come on and chat with us, we'd be more than happy to talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to hear from somebody down there. And as always, uh, for the Recovery Machine podcast, you can find all our details on the in the description. Whether you're watching on uh, on YouTube or listening on Spotify or whatever, Apple Podcast or all the platforms, um, you can find us in the description. We'll have our uh, contact information there. Our website too, RecoveryMachine.org, has all our information on there. So, reach out, let us know, and yeah, yeah be happy to hear from you. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. Thank you, Corey. It's been an awesome year and we're going to keep chugging along. See what happens. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> All right, buddy. Okay. See you soon. Cheers.